BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. My name is Chris Lambert. And my name is Travis Bean. And on today's episode, we dig into Ari Aster's cult film, Midsummer. This episode involves a long-winded discussion of the horror genre and how Astra's modern techniques both embrace and diverge from the norm. Flowers. Just an abundance of flowers. Bright, oh. happy, colorful, lovely flowers everywhere. It, it makes me think we should have made this the Valentine's Day episode. <laughs> oh, how, how nice would that have been? You know, the natural uh, cycle of a relationship coming to an end. I mean, sometimes that's what Valentine's all about is like a relationship coming to an end so you can start a new one. Yeah, it can definitely be a tipping point. You know, somebody under delivers or expectations are too high. And you're just like, Mm. well, this is not something I want to uh, deal with. Yeah. Or you stumble into a Swedish cult and you're forced to make that decision. Yeah. We could have saved this for summer, you know, but... Yeah, it, it is a horror movie, though, although it is on the other side of Halloween now. So th- th- it really doesn't make any sense to release this episode on November 2nd. <laughs> no, but here we are. Yeah, this is what we do. A nonsensical podcast. Yep, ill-timed on every aspect. Beautiful. Yeah. So, Midsummer. This is one that you... Is it Midsummer or is it Midsummer? <laughs> Midsummer. It is, midsummer, yeah, yeah, midsummer. Uh, this is one that I'm sure you had mixed feelings about going into. <laughs> to say the um, well, as has been noted a few times in this podcast, when we go through our rankings, Hereditary is at the very bottom of my movie rankings. Over um, 400, nearly 500 movies. Yeah, of the movies I've watched since the beginning of 2022, um, I I wouldn't say it's my least favorite movie ever but it's my least favorite movie of the past 500 or so days. <laughs> so it, it's it's just funny because like I know Chris likes it. I don't know if you love it, but I know you like it. Um, I know people in general love it. I believe one time when I was berating Hereditary on Twitter back when I actually had an account, um, someone said that Hereditary was peak horror. And in that moment, I like felt very it was both enlightening and that's that like oh that is probably a very commonly held opinion amongst like i don't want to just delegate it to gen z but like younger moviegoers like a different way of watching movies like a different movie loving audience i was suddenly very aware of the kinds of movies they're looking for um and so in that moment it also I felt alienated that because I like older horror movies. (laughs) I mean, I like older movies in general and I find myself less and less watching new movies because they rarely satisfy what I'm looking for and what I've become so accustomed to with older movies and the transcendence they've given me. 
Um, so I, I, that's how I look at Hereditary and how I felt going into Midsummer is like these movies, I guess, just aren't for me. Um, I'm not saying that they're objectively terrible, even though they might be. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> like, I, I, I more chalk it up to like, oh, like I just simply like something different than what the audience is generally craving. Like A24 knows what people want. And so they keep giving us horror movies like this. And I usually just, at this point, I ignore them because I know I won't like them. And the only time I'm going to watch them is if this podcast makes me do it. <laughs> well, yeah, there's been a, a big divide. I mean, you could kind of look decade by decade in terms of just all oh, genres, yeah. right? I think about the that all that, the time. The way that the action genre has changed over time. The elevated horror that we're getting now versus hmm. some of the, I guess it was mid-tier blockbuster horror of the early aughts sure yeah that they're trying to go bigger concept but it's also kind of cheesy yeah uh, i know you versus mean, yeah. versus uh like the more low budgets but very visceral nature of 70s 80s horror sure yeah um, and it does make me think like did back in the 70s were there people who like thought Suspiria was bullshit like and like had all these reasons why it was terrible and was shit compared to like older horror movies I I just wonder if I'm just part of that cycle yeah, that, you would have been yeah. <laughs> I imagine like a version of you in the 70s it's like Nosferatu is peak <laughs> horror and the Suspiria bullshit with its intrusive music and colors Oof. is just not all you're doing is make me want to watch it again yeah <laughs> I I mean I do think it's generational yeah. I mean it's happens I'm very aware of it with me and music to the point <laughs> yeah. where I don't like a lot of modern music in the same way and now the music that we grew up with in the 90s and aughts yeah. is the the jam channels that people have or the the classic rock channels that people listen to and i remember being on those road trips with my parents in the 90s driving from ohio to new jersey and hearing the radio stations that are playing like only 70s only mm -hmm. 60s and thinking that's so old <clears throat> And now I'm in the equivalent of that being my music. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind I of constantly feel old. Yeah. Kind of wild to me because I feel so young, but then that makes me feel so old movies. I don't quite have the same feeling about. Yeah. Uh, you, you tend to like newer movies and yeah, you're much I, more open to them than I am anyway. Yeah. I'm down for the different, explorations and styles which is funny because in novels which i think i care about more than movies and uh music if i'm like ranking how particular i am about things um i'm also very against a lot of modern literature yeah i, I want to make it clear that i am very open to new styles people any new techniques used for horror, as far as I'm concerned, that's the way horror movies should should get better and better. Like being able to see what people did in the past and improve upon those techniques and invent new techniques. Like I expect horror movies to get better. Um, I think more of what the problem is, is that there are so many movies now that it's really hard for me to find the good ones. 
which, you know, back in the 70s, there's only a handful of great, great horror movies you know you have to watch. And you watch them. And you see why they're so great. You see why they continue to inspire change and and um, influence the way directors navigate their movies these days. But with so many movies coming out these days, it's I just feel like I end up watching a lot of stuff like Hereditary. I don't know. I think it's <laughs> it's more that it's not that I'm not open to those styles. It's just that like I've bec- like I said, I've become so accustomed to like what has worked. And what worked really well that I just instantly see holes in somebody like Ari Aster's techniques and like what he's going for. And I I, I go into every movie experience. I really do. I know I sound like a curmudgeon, but I really I went in the midsummer and I haven't said what I thought of midsummer yet, by the way. But I went in the midsummer with the mentality of like, I want to love this. I want to see what everyone else sees in it. I want to be moved by this movie. So as it starts, as it's moving, like I'm looking for clues. I'm looking to connect with the people. That is always my goal. Um, it just so happens to be that I think Ari Aster, the way he is navigating his characters and his story and his space, I'm just like, I'm just not finding that connection. I'm not being moved in the way I want to be. I, it's funny because then I watch Aster and all the things that he's doing, I think are so fascinating and interesting and dynamic uh given how i think easy it is for horror movies to be by the numbers or to rely a little bit more on yeah. the shock factor of what's on screen rather than the craft of what's on screen uh i really enjoy the technique that aster brings to hereditary midsummer i would say i think is the weakest of his three movies um, but I did appreciate it on the subsequent viewings more than on the first viewing. Uh, and then Bo is Afraid, I think, is... I don't want to say, like, masterpiece conversation, eh, but I might go that far. Mm-hmm. You seem to really like it. Yeah. In terms of just being literature on screen, I think it's one of the those movies that is just a depth of theme, a depth of technique... Uh, it's impressive to me in a lot of ways where it just felt like hereditary and midsummer were warm-ups for that it's funny you mentioned that um horror movies often feel by the numbers to you and i've actually had this conversation recently i guess in the month of october it happened a little more naturally um but i've talked to people who like who just aren't as into movies as i am who um, don't watch horror movies that often. And almost every single person, I, I we had a Halloween party at our house the other day, and pretty much everyone I talked to says they don't like horror movies, <laughs> which is just like, it, it's probably my favorite genre. And it's a odd place to start a conversation. Like I just talked to somebody who watched Scream and they're like, it's all right, but like, you just like know everything, you know? Like it feels like all the other horror movies, um, which is ironic, I guess, for that movie because it's yeah. <laughs> trying to do that. But even then, like I, I, I feel like that is a perception of something like horror or say westerns, um, and why they aren't as popular as maybe they used to be. Is people, I don't. It's something I don't share. Is I guess is what I'm getting at. Is people look at a horror movie and say like, oh, I've seen this before. Like I've seen movies go through all of these. Um, you know, beats. the same obstacles, the same beats, and you can like expect what's going to happen. And for me, 
that is just literally never an issue. Like I do not have an issue with a movie going through familiar beats. All I'm concerned with is if, because I guess I think you could break almost any movie down to those um, parameters if you really wanted to. Like dramas all go through the same beats. Like comedies probably go through the same beats. You can look at movies that do the hero's journey. Like that happens all the time. With horror movies, I think it's just a little more obvious because they're so exaggerated and so like are what they are. Um, but I, to me, like I really don't care if like a movie is going through those familiar techniques. I just need it to move me. I need it to be different in the sense of how it's navigating those waters and how they're shedding light on the characters and what they're going through and how it's projected back onto me and how I can relate to it. I, I, I just, that's, I, I'm not saying it's ne you're necessarily saying that about horror movies that like, you just kind of had this blockheaded view of them and like, Oh, like this movie did something I've seen before. Like I'm not interested, but that does to me seem to be the general perception of horror movies and why people won't get into them in the same way. Say I would. I think it's something that I, see across art in general it's something that bothers me about a lot of music structure you do mm -hmm. bridge verse bridge verse uh, verse <laughs> sorry verse chorus this, yeah. verse chorus bridge chorus conclusion and you can do a lot of cool things within that but if that's just how every song is it starts to become you start to look for like a little more and I don't I, feel I, that I, way though. Yeah. You don't feel that way to me. I'm, I, I'm completely I blown away by a movie that, or, or by a song that can have like, if the bridge is soaring <laughs> and like transcends and lifts me up, like I don't care that I've heard a bridge a million times in the same spot. Like if they do it well, they did it well. Yeah. I, it's just what's doing it well mean. And <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. That, yeah. that is to me, that is the question. Like that is the interesting discussion. Not like, Oh, like I've seen this before. I think that's maybe the implied critique is not just, I've seen this before, but it didn't then do anything right. sure. that elevated it to me. Yeah. It's just the, the language used to describe it is only the, the tip of the iceberg for that. So sure. that's like my feeling when it comes to, I mean, that's how I felt when I saw Heat, which makes a lot of people mad, is that <laughs> I watched it, I was just like, oh, I've seen this movie a million times because so many movies ripped off of Heat. Sure. That by the time I watched it in 2014, <laughs> it's, it's not uh, fresh. But there's so many older movies that I watch that blow me away and impress me uh, that that one really left me wanting more. And I don't feel that way about a lot of the classic horror movies. And when I say that a lot of horror movies have familiar beats, I'm thinking more of things like The Nun or <laughs> The Pet Cemetery remake. Right, right. Uh, just a few of these movies that lean into the genre without necessarily maybe trying to add to the genre. Yeah, without like igniting it and elevating it. Yeah. So totally. I really like horror as well, but I think every like every genre has the stuff that's just trying to be a part of it. And those movies typically don't jump out to me that much but because horror 
tends to be easier to enter into for filmmakers, I think, or is easier to sell an audience on. I think you get a lot more uh, by the numbers horror movies than maybe some right. other genres. So on the other end, I think this is why then so many people love something like Hereditary or Midsummer, and you already alluded yes. to it, is yeah. that like it doesn't have that structure. It feels a little looser, unpredictable, abstract, uh, which is great. I, I, again, I'm very open to different styles. I don't need all horror movies to be the same. They just a lot of them just happen to be. Um, I just don't have a problem with that. It, the other end, the, see, the, I guess that's the crux of all this is like whether or not a horror movie is by the numbers or completely outside of the numbers. All I care about is how it's done. <laughs> um, so, in the case of Ari Aster, in the case of Hereditary, and yes, in the case of Midsummer, it's just unbearable. Yeah, not for you at all. I I thought maybe for a little bit in Midsummer it had me. Um, but I would say about halfway through the movie, I knew I was experiencing one of the worst. Oh man! Well, so <laughs> I uh, I saw Midsummer when it came out in theaters, and I had also caught Hereditary in theaters and loved Hereditary, and I've watched it maybe like four or five times since hereditary mm -hmm. and it still stayed high in my estimations just some of the shocks and surprises and images uh, i thought were very daring or bold uh the scene where he like smashes his face into the desk always gets mm -hmm. me um and then I'm really into the techniques he uses in that movie. So when I went to see Midsummer, I was fully on board, like, yes, let's go. And it was one that by the end of it, I felt a little, uh, what's the word? Bland, uh, ambivalence towards. Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of like going from Get Out to Us, where there are moments of this could be really good, but a lot of the decisions were a bit annoying and I find cult movies hard in general. Like you talk about movies that are by the numbers. I feel like every cult movie is the same fucking thing every time. Mm -hmm. And that's really frustrating to me. It's always some reason to get to the cults, uh, a period of the cult being nice and seeming okay. And you're almost like, well, maybe this is good. And then it tilts into the horror aspect and people dying and then that's it. Yeah. Uh, th this has at least a few more twists along the way, but it was still something that the plot didn't do enough uh, with the cult to really feel unique. I mean, you don't me. learn very much about them. No, not all that much. The characters aren't all that developed either. Um, <laughs> that's putting it lightly <laughs> yeah the friend group is pretty annoying just annoying yeah. people who you never learned anything about and all you really learn about them is that they're annoying and dumb Americans yeah it's it's pretty frustrating that way but on rewatch uh, when I wrote the explanation for the site earlier this year I liked it a bit more um, as I was getting into more of the symbolism of a breakup so rather than the literal movie of what's happening, looking at it as a bit more of a, a metaphor for a relationship coming to an end, 
and the grieving process and all of that stuff, I found that there was more for me to kind of latch onto and enjoy what was being depicted and why it was being depicted. Mm -hmm. But it's still one that I'm not quite as high on as the other ones. Um, And even though I liked it more on the last two viewings this year, it's still in like a weird place for me. So I'm not going to, I don't know if I'll defend it all that hard uh-huh. <laughs> uh, versus uh, the criticisms unlike with hereditary, but um, I still enjoy it. The thing that jumped out to me that I actually thought you might like it a little uh-huh. bit more was the scene near the end where she starts having the panic attack and the yeah. other women crowd around her and start breathing with her because I know how much the the emotion of a moment or what it's saying about people or the energy of those things can mean for you. And that seemed like something that was getting at this idea of community and mm-hmm. her having been in a place of isolation and loneliness to suddenly have these women like gathering around her and supporting her when she's hyperventilating and sharing that experience and grief with her. I thought was either a moment that would click for you and make you like the movie or at least like that scene, or you'd be so frustrated up to that point that it wouldn't matter at all. Um, I guess that scene actually is a good way to frame how I feel about this movie because I know what you mean. Like that scene, that moment in a movie could be so cathartic and powerful yeah. to have it to let that just play out them just like breathing and and like yelling and and them all coming together at once because like i totally understand like what the moment is conveying that this woman suddenly has these people around her who are in sync with her who are listening to her um especially a woman who has no family anymore who has a terrible boyfriend who won't pay attention to her emotional needs uh, to someone who feels lost in a foreign country in this crazy situation where she doesn't know where anything's going on to suddenly have like all these people to just like sense how she's feeling. Like, that's cool. That's a really great idea. I think what makes it miserable to watch though <laughs> um, is, and, and that's how I felt in that moment. Like when they're all breathing with her, like I did not for one second feel like, moved or uplifted or like connected um a because i think it's blockheadedly obvious what they're doing i think i said this on the last episode that i like when movies are clear but i don't like when they're obvious to me this movie is obvious the entire way through um it's just like constantly like stating what the issue is or like what somebody is going through and like what the catharsis should be or what the solution is or whatever Um, So in that moment, like, that's not helping that, like, I just see the machinations of that scene. And, like, I see that, like, oh, you're supposed to be moved by this for this reason. Um, I don't like that in movies. And I'm not saying that's necessarily true for everybody. Like, somebody could really get something out of that scene. Maybe they they don't think it's obvious to me, though. Like, this whole movie, I see what her journey is supposed to be, like her realizing that the situation isn't great for her, that she needs to move past 
the comfort of someone like Christian. She needs to like find herself and find her own family and community, blah, blah, blah. Like I see all that a little bit too clearly. Um, it's just all a little bit too obviously to me. And, but I think beyond that, like that's one thing. The next step though is like, even if it's kind of obvious what the movie's doing, it can be filmed and communicated in a way that is transcendent. Um, and in that aspect, I just, I'm not ever once connected with Ari Aster's exploration of characters, the way he moves throughout these scenes, the way he's navigating their emotional terrain. It just, if the movie to me reeks of what I think a lot of new young directors do, it's just like show off mode, like things that are supposed to look really cool or things that are supposed to be grand and like otherworldly, but um, they're only really like that, like on paper. We talked about this with Blade Runner 2049, how people always post pictures of Blade Runner 2049 and like undoubtedly, yeah, that looks fucking cool right there. But in the movement of a movie, like it's not, it drags, it's languid, it's uh, without voice. Like I never like understand like why I'm watching this beautiful image, I guess. <laughs> like, I know that sounds dumb to some people. Like, why are you communicating? Why are you complaining about seeing a beautiful image? But in my mind, like the beautiful image means nothing if it isn't communicating something more powerful, if it isn't part of the art, part of the message, part of the deeper meaning. Like, I don't really care. If anything, it's more annoying <laughs> that like <laughs> you think I'm just going to look at this pretty image and like be moved. So in that moment when like she's breathing with everybody like that's all i can sense is like it's supposed to be a thing um and i'm just simply not moved by it because of everything the movie has done leading up to this moment it just feels kind of ugly to me like that's my takeaway from about ari aster from both hereditary and midsummer is he's very cruel to his characters in a way that i don't find interesting movies can be cruel to characters in the sense that like they go through hell like that's a natural element of any horror movie but i think there's a different kind of cruelty where you're just watching people suffer with no like end in sight <laughs> like the suffering is the point of the movie almost um so that's all i could really feel in that scene is like i'm just watching somebody suffer and i don't know what she's really getting out of this like I know she is getting something out of it like that's the point of the movie and that's what it's building to but like I don't sense that I don't see that I don't feel that I'm curious about the obvious and clear mm -hmm. distinction in something like Magic Mike XXL or oh, Terrifier 2 you're talking my language because uh, those are two movies to me that I think are like pretty clear but also pretty obvious in what's going on um yeah sure how does that differ from the obviousness that you see in midsummer i guess what specifically do you think is obvious about terrifier 2 well, like you're talking about the, like the scene the where they're yeah i guess the scene where they're breathing together and everything that that's like doing is like so obvious to you about what it's supposed to be um even though they don't have it in dialogue there's nothing mm -hmm. necessarily um uh what is it like told to you about what's going on you're just kind of watching it and knowing in the context 
of what it's meaning. But in Terrifier 2, for example, are there any... How's it not obvious when she gets her redemption at the end to come and fight uh, Al? Al? Art? The clown? Art. Yeah, yeah, Art. You better be careful you pronounce his name wrong. It's going to come after you. I know. Oh, God. I think a big part of it is... And I appreciate you asking it. It's kind of helping me define what I mean. I, I think a big part of it is just that when a movie is clear, it's because like the art is infused what's what's going on. Like there is an elevation being experienced. There is something like transcendent, otherworldly. There's something like if I think about Terrifier 2. Um, there's like all this Valkyrie image throughout and she's denying being this this warrior and she doesn't want to take on take the sword and like take this position that her dad envisioned for her like that's obvious I guess you could say that like that is laid out in the beginning and that's eventually what happens but the journey itself like what she goes through I think it just transcends it goes beyond just like I'm seeing it and like that's what it is I think it's just the the emotional aspect of it that it and I guess this speaks to just you know what you like in movies like what you like to see um what speaks to you to me a movie like that where it feels so elevated and that it does kind of feel like fairy tale-esque like she takes on the sword like her wound is healed she kind of like jumps out of the pit and she suddenly gets all of this anger it it's so climactic and reaches a point in a way that i don't really see in midsummer like to me midsummer is like like i said very languid like slowly moves like kind of like trudges towards this conclusion um in a way that like i just like i know what's happening the whole time and i'm just like trudging along with it whereas terrifier 2 like feels it just feels bigger than that, I guess. Like, it feels like it has life, like it pulsates and that it's like building towards something and it's like bringing you along the way and like you're kind of cheering it on as opposed to just like kind of sitting in it, you know? Okay, so that to me sounds like obvious might not be the thing that's the issue so much as the the pacing and the the trudging that's the issue of like the energy that's <laughs> going into it and around it leading up to it right so, I, like two things can both be obvious but if the one's obvious and it builds with this energy and has this like power to it that transcends but if something's obvious but you're just kind of trudging up to it and the payoff isn't there it just feels bland in comparison you could be right but as you're saying that as i'm thinking about it, I, maybe more of what it is is like midsummer just doesn't have that much to say like to me like there's one or two takeaways from the movie or, or maybe there are multiple takeaways but like the one thing is really concentrated on whereas terrifier 2 i think it's about so much like i feel like there are so many ideas being tossed around and they're being so vividly explored that by the time it comes around and she becomes that Valkyrie character, like it's in the mix of like a million other things I've been thinking about. And Midsummer, like, I guess I don't know what, I guess that's it. Like, I find it kind of dull and in, in one note. 
Yeah, I mean the the two main things that are going on in Midsummer, it's you can view it as a a movie about grief and just a metaphor for moving through the grieving process. Sure. With the ending being a little more half empty or half full, depending on how you look at it. Because there are people that do take it more as a metaphor for working through these things that weigh on you. And that's part of the the language of the movie. Um, I forget what the the specific term is that they use. It's not like artifacts, or maybe it is artifacts. Um that you identify and you essentially like burn and get rid of to purify yourself and to start fresh in the new season. Mm, Um, So you can view this entirely as the process of working through grief. And at the end, she's come through on the other side of her grief, or you could view it that in her grief, she's given over to these darker urges fallen in with an improper crowd and it's the negative way of working through grief rather than a positive way Uh, i think aster purposefully kind of leaves it open-ended in that way Um, and it's the same thing with the relationship there are people that look at as a very powerful statement of ending a relationship and moving on and what happens to christian is just you know, a metaphor for the breakup process. And then you have people that look at it as a lot more literally and say, yeah, the guy was a dick, but did he deserve to die in a bear costume? That's horrendous. And that it ends up being this revenge fantasy that's really gross and destructive. So you have people that really have the the glass half empty view of that. But that seems to be really the the two aspects of the movie that you have like grief Mm -hmm. and relationship considerations and there's not that much more to it and even though there are other characters who are writing their thesis and want to get laid at this commune yeah those are just side stories that mean nothing yeah they're kind of just there for fodder right you need other people it's a horror movie (laughs) that's right they are there to just be killed pretty much yeah, that's it. That's uh, the entirety of it. And I do think Aster had said that he had initially written or had gone through a breakup. And so he had written this breakup movie and then also had the idea for a cult movie or got asked to do a cult movie and decided to join them together. And that's what we ended up having. So, yeah, I mean... <sighs> It's is limited in that way. I I get why it appeals to people who have mm-hmm. experienced those things. Like I've sure. experienced the loss of parents and grief, and there's things in that that I can identify with and appreciate. But it's still a pretty boring movie to me. Totally. It's uh, that that is one thing I've kind of been blown away by. Like this movie. Blade Runner 2049, and I I watched Five Nights at Freddy last night, which is a huge movie right now. All three of those movies are unbearably boring and slow in a way that blows my mind that people get so... I I just... So I guess it's kind of insulting for me to say, and I I shouldn't be so insulting, but people obviously don't find them boring. Um, But I, I just like... I compare something like this to Suspiria, which I just watched, 
And that movie is alive for 90 straight minutes. Like, it's crazy how electric and vibrant that movie is that I just can't handle a movie like Midsummer. Like, to me, all those different um, ways to read the ending you're talking about, those are all, like, both boring. Like, if any one of those is, like, the way the movie's going, like, that's just boring and not interesting to me. Um, It purely in the way that it's handled, like, that story could obviously be interesting in another movie um but it's the way we get to those endings and the way the movie just like drags towards them and doesn't have much to say about them the entire time (laughs) just like the idea is put out there and like that's it like here's what the movie's about and it's not really explored you're just kind of cap catapulted into like an unknown situation uh, which is Suspiria, by the way. The the whole movie is you don't learn much about the main character. Um, you just know that it's a coming of age story and that she's at the school that is haunted and she's navigating the the strange crevices and hallways of the school and slowly figuring out what it is and what she needs to do to stop what's going on. But that's part of the movie. Like to, to me, like that movie works because you don't know anything, because you are learning alongside of her and because it's so vibrant and electric the whole time like you feel invested and invigorated by it in a way like i just i'm i don't know what it could be possibly happening in midsummer that makes people so captivated and keeps them in so deeply because people love this movie i see people talk about it all the time i saw people dressing up as the characters of midsummer on halloween which i thought was pretty funny actually um but i i i do kind of like look at it and the way it moves and it it really just makes me wonder if there's just no space anymore for something like suspiria something that is dedicated to being so vibrant the whole time you know and is there a recent horror movie that you terrifier too oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) although that that movie actually is kind of slow a lot of the time so that's not really true yeah, that was, I think, my big complaints about uh, <laughs> yeah. Terrifier 2 was that there were long stretches. I thought it was just kind of, like, slow and obvious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, there are definitely a lot of just, like, people sit around talking, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, or, like, it, the, the kills initially were, like, kind of cool and interesting to me. And then you I was like, okay. Cool at the end? I thought they got like a little uh familiar. Wow. We'll have to unpack that another day. I know. <laughs> that Maybe, blows uh, my mind. In the lead up to the Terrifier three when we do a Terrifier <laughs> one and two catch up. Oh yeah. Um Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think people like the cinematography of this movie the the visuals of the film you don't get a lot of movies that have the setting and the the color palettes and i guess people really like florence Pugh as well Mm -hmm. which i get i I thought i thought she was the best part of this movie i find her like pretty pretty infinitely watchable in anything that she's in. She's 0 for 3 for me in movies so far, but yeah, she's good. <laughs> what? Uh, Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. this, and Don't Worry, Darling? Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but she's really good in all of them. She's great, yeah. It's just unfortunate that the 
the movies leave a little bit more to be desired. Um, and so I, I think there are people that definitely, and the relationship aspect, I think is something that mm-hmm. anytime there's a powerful statement about relationships, especially horror is often good for working through those emotions uh, in a way that feels very indulgent because horror is so heightened uh, that I think there are a lot of people that have been in bad relationships that feel a lot of satisfaction from (laughs) uh, what happens to Christian or even if they hadn't been in a relationship that's that bad they just feel the catharsis of being out of one and there's a lot of identification with that mm-hmm. um and then the outfits i guess cute <laughs> those are all reasons yeah but yeah people it was one of those things i saw this on opening like thursday the weekend it came out and was surprised when i saw all the positive responses to it mm-hmm. yeah um I'll just say one last thing that I hate about it so you just be done with me and Chris can talk about like what it's actually doing well. Um, But the one thing I think I just can't get into and this was, it was like, I feel like this was a turning point for me actually um, when it came, comes to modern horror because again, horror is my favorite genre and there are a lot of modern horror movies I do like. Um, But the popular ones, I guess I tend to not like and Hereditary was like the first, I feel like my first insight into this um that moment where the little girl's head where she's decapitated yeah. uh sorry to spoil hereditary although if you're listening to this you've probably watched hereditary um i was very shocked by that moment um which i've heard people talk about like i heard uh, i was talking with somebody about the movie once and to him like that's one of the the fondest memories he has about it maybe not fondest but like one of the most visceral memories he has about a movie and that he was so shocked by this girl's head being taken off. Um, but when I saw it in that moment, like I just immediately felt disgust. And e- even on the other end of the movie and knowing why it happened and what it was in service of, it didn't to me justify killing a little girl. <laughs> uh, like We talked about this on the show, actually. Like there are plenty of movies where like kids are killed and you know, I, it, it happens like I'm okay with a movie killing kids, but I, I do think it's uh, it's strange territory to dip into, especially if you don't have like a really, really good reason for it. Um, and if it's not done in an emotionally sensitive way and if it doesn't lead to something really powerful. And as we've talked about, like, I don't really dig the way Ari Aster does his movies. So to me, like when he does something like that, I never end up seeing a payoff for it. And that's the trend I've noticed in all of his, well, in two of his movies now. I've only seen two. But people are just there to be killed. They're there to be mutilated, brutalized, um, tortured, (laughs) and we're just watching it. And I never once get the catharsis that I think he's looking for in going down all these paths. And this is this is natural for horror. Uh, I I love horror. I said it's my favorite genre, and and this comes with the territory, and and why I think horror movies have the most potential to be transcendent and powerful, is because they are putting people through hell, but it's in service of something greater. It's it's really getting at these 
things we all go through, the, the, these things we go through our, throughout our life and blowing it up to these really crazy levels. And when you do that, you can achieve amazing catharsis. But I think the opposite can also happen, that horror movies have the potential to be the worst kind of movies and that like they are just torturing people and making us watch it. And the ultimate point isn't achieved powerfully enough to justify like everything you've done to these people people these people that are supposed to be reflections of me um so after the little girl died in hereditary like I, i've just like had like a vendetta against ariaster it almost feels like <laughs> like an injustice of this little girl and that's immediately how i felt in this movie uh the when the the sister and the parents are killed at the beginning of the movie it's not even necessarily that it happens like that can happen and that can be part of the 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 character's Danny's journey in this movie, but it's more just like how it's presented, like the way he films these dead bodies, the way we watch Danny react, like it just feels really gross and intrusive in a way to me that like, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes and no. Like there are definitely things that I want to push back on there. It's like, yes, in the sense that especially if the catharsis is something that you're really like looking for um and wanting or th think is uh necessary to justify mm -hmm. um cruelty like that then i definitely get where you're coming from with it and why it would be a turnoff when something like that happens i'm also in the boat like with your friend to where when i was in the theater and that happened legit gasp and mm -hmm. legit shock of <laughs> oh that's something as somebody that feels like i don't see enough new things or things that break through expectations I, that definitely sat me upright in my seats and was refreshing <laughs> as weird as it is to say that that's a refreshing moment uh because that is a bold, shocking, certainly bold thing to do. Um, but it's funny when you talk about the the ugliness of it or the the negativity of it because when I watch, not to harp on Terrifier two because I like do. Terrifier two, but watching some of the the kill scenes in that, it feels completely extended, <laughs> unnecessary, cruel. Oh. Wow. Uh, maybe not even earned or like tangential to the story that's going on there because there is a story of redemption and growth and grief and coming through pain. You can frame a lot of what art's doing as inflicting this pain or embodying the the negative emotions that the characters are dealing with. I forget the sister and the brother's name. Um, uh, so did I, and I've seen it like five times. Yeah, uh, of what they're going <laughs> Sienna through. Sienna and, and Jonathan, I think. Yes, uh, ultimately, like Sienna conquering, and the catharsis that comes with that. The deaths of her friends along the way are somewhat in service of that. But I mean, Hereditary is a movie about grief, and the same way as Terrifier too. And you have Art killing Sienna's friend in mm -hmm. like a terrible, terrible way. Yeah. 
is that better than this girl's head getting knocked off just because of the age difference? Yes. Well, um, uh, I can argue that whenever you're finished. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's So that's something that jumps out to me because I think you could just level the same cruelty claims to yeah, Terrifier 2. I get that. I, I think a lot of people have. Um, but then for Hereditary to me, you talk about the catharsis. It almost makes it sound like you're saying that movies have to have catharsis. <laughs> and I know you don't feel that way. Well, um, well, catharsis in the sense that like, if I've watched something for an hour and a half or two hours, like I expect to feel the point of the movie. I expect to reach an apex and ultimately like deliver like a, a final blow. I guess I do expect a good movie to do that. I think when you say catharsis, the intense, almost like that there's a, an upswing or a swing from negative to positive. Like if something has or the negativity, opposite. then it has to like end in positivity. Um, uh, no, I just think it needs to be building to an ultimate point basically. And that ultimate point needs to be achieved. Like that's a catharsis. Yeah. I, I mean, I see for hereditary, it's definitely a tragedy of sure. what happens when grief strikes a family, especially a family that's dealing with inherited, uh, mental illness. And so you have the death of the daughter triggering this extreme like, mental illness that the mom inherited from her grandma, like that's part of her family that causes her to descend to this point of just being completely inconsolable and hurting her family. And it's, I mean, it's a very, it's something that people have dealt with and deal with mm -hmm. and it's a very much like the tragic end of things where something like the babadook uh takes a positive upswing at the end mm -hmm. that there's some hope but hereditary is essentially babadook with the negative unhappy ending and i think through the frame of being a tragedy in that way yeah. the death of the girl especially a child of that age uh maybe it doesn't have to be so graphic um but that it suits the it it's needed for the story that's being told which is that this horrendous thing happens to this family and given the context of the the mental illness that's in the family it causes this triggering event that leads to this tragic ending yeah that's a good point i mean that that is a form of catharsis for sure yeah so i mean but Going back to what we were saying earlier about the trudge, right? Mm -hmm. It's certainly a trudge to that point, yes. which makes the buildup to it feel even heavier um, rather than having that energy of, I think, the, the kind of payoff or catharsis that you would get from something like... I'm trying to think of what another uh, I mean, terrifier too. Yeah. <laughs> Should we just make this a terrifier two episode? Cause we've barely talked about midsummer. I know it's been everything around midsummer, but the, our problems with midsummer yeah. aren't necessarily like it's the movie in context of everything. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I think that's, you're making hmm. good points. I, I kind of, I mean, you're putting me in my place in the sense I'm putting that in quotes and that like, I'm kind of realizing things about myself now and like what I like. Um, and 
again, I don't want to deny that Hereditary and Midsummer are well done for like what they are. Because you, you're sitting here saying you like Hereditary. You kind of like the pace of that movie and everything. And I think I'm just somebody who has trouble with that. I mean, there are plenty of slow movies I love. Like Lawrence of Arabia is slow. It's four hours on and I fucking love that movie. Um, I just watched The Innkeepers, which is a horror movie that's really slow. But like, I love that movie. Um, and part of what I don't think is why I think the kills in Terrifier 2 work so well, even though they are cruel, uh, just at face value, is that they're so well done. <laughs> like they're, they're such absurd deaths. The way Art the Clown is mutilating these people and butchering their bodies and tearing their hearts out and putting an eyeball on his own face and like um, the art of the kills, like Damon Leone, the director, is like doing all the special effects and like it looks so incredible and absurd at the same time. Like to me, if a movie's able to achieve something like that and like uplift in that way, like I love that. Like to me, that makes it enjoyable, um, even if even if like what's happening to them is cruel. Plus, there are a million other things that I think make it work is there's more going on than just Sienna's grief. Like the whole town is experiencing a grief in a sense. Like they're dealing with all these murders that have happened in town and Art the Clown represents terror. So like every, the more terrifying he is, the more ridiculous he is when he kills people, like the more you see that terror amplifying. Like So I think all those things like that's why I look at that and see the kills as like, wow, like that's really powerful as opposed to hereditary and I'm like that kill was just really ugly and brutal in a way it didn't need to be. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of splitting hairs in a sense because I just don't like how Esther films this movie is like, it's hard to get past that. If you do like it, you're probably into that kind of stuff and you see the power in it and you find the catharsis at the end. Yeah, because I have like an inverse reaction to you. I find uh, not beauty, obviously, but mm -hmm. I'm more into what Aster's doing with the death of that character than I am into what's happening in Terrifier 2 with the death of some of those characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, God, especially the long like dream sequence with oh the, the incredible. That yeah, was so the clown cafe. Come on yeah, down the to the clown cafe. cafe. Yeah. Uh, I liked so many things in the movie, and I hated that so much. That's bizarre to me, but but okay. <laughs> so yeah, but I get what you're mean. Like overall, the point about how Aster films the movies, there's a visceralness to the death scenes of some of the characters that feels. It's there for the shock value, and it's things that you could see other movies maybe getting away with in context or doing in context, but there's a almost a journalistic quality to how Aster is filling his oh, movies. That's a great word to use, yeah. That drains it of the... Not the entertainment value, but the... Almost the tongue-in-cheekness that you get from some of the like the low budget horror movies where it's so ridiculous or so heightened that there's that sense of fantasy that's created. Right. And that's really there in terrifier too. There's that sense of fantasy mm -hmm. where because Astor's films tend to be a bit more grounded in what they're presenting, 
when he leans into that moment of the the decapitation or showing the the parents and the sister there's a shock value that definitely appeals to the people that want that like visceral grossness to it but because it's grounded rather than heightened right it loses some of that fantastic quality that makes it feel safe or fun I think that's that's a great way of putting it. I think you've you've uh, really looked at the way I, I'm looking at these movies and like made a really good conclusion about why they don't speak to me. Um, but I will say I I don't mind when movies are slow or explore things in a more matter of fact way. I don't necessarily think that's. I don't see why that would be the first route. Any movie or filmmaker would take like to me movies are meant to be like aren't supposed to just represent reality it's just like this parallel version of reality like almost like a a dream version of it that takes a familiar situation but makes it completely unfamiliar uh, but not every movie does that and i've experienced plenty of movies that are very straightforward and journalistic in quotes you know it, it, um and even horror movies that have done that, I don't know if I'll be able to think of any. Well, I mean, I almost want to say like Night of the Living Dead, <laughs> like that has zombies. That's not realistic, obviously, but it's <laughs> done in a very like grounded way. Like you're just there in the house of them and they're just defending from zombies. And they're the whole time they're experiencing, they're just arguing with each other and figuring out how to survive in the moment. Um, I, I think movies can certainly be like that and do well. Um, it's just this particular filmmaker and these particular movies. Like I don't see, I'm just not getting anything from it. That's all it is. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to the mixture of techniques. It's like, I don't think any one of those techniques or styles is something that you are against in general, but when they come together, <laughs> when Aster brings them together in this way, I mean, yeah, it's it his aesthetic. Doesn't, yeah. It doesn't click for you yeah it, uh, i mean yeah i mean as somebody like seeing Bo is afraid mm -hmm. it's one of those things where i feel like that was such a level up for him okay that it does make me look back on midsummer and hereditary and not think like less of them but they feel more like first steps to me right um and that he has a good eye for things and good ideas but it seemed like needed a couple films under his belt to actually start getting into the territory of that extra gear mm -hmm. yeah. of having those dynamic scenes having more of the fantastic elements feeling that confidence like there's such a different degree of bigness and confidence and dynamics in Bo's Afraid mm-hmm that you know watching midsummer this time it just felt kind of painful in comparison to me painful is a good word to use <laughs> uh well I don't know. And was the, you were saying that the beginning of the movie was something you were actually into though i know we're um, coming up on on our time but i'm curious about you said it like almost won you over at a couple points yeah i mean the i definitely did not dig the way the 
parents and sister's death was filmed. Um, but I was open in the sense that like, I wanted to see where this was going. Um, yeah, early on, just, I, I guess I was intrigued by like how, um, what's the right word? Like it wasn't, I'm about to say it wasn't obvious. Like it, it wasn't making it clear, like what the real story was going to be. Like we were moving so slowly through things. Like it's just Danny wondering about her sister. And then it's just Christian sitting with his friends talking about Danny. And then, you know, the terrible thing happens and Christian's just like, he's with Danny at a party. And then he tells his friends that like Danny's coming, but she's not going to come. And then they're on the airplane. Like it's just, it was moving so slowly in a way that I kind of found intriguing. I was just like, oh man, like what is the weird like plotting of this movie? Um, but before long, that to me just became the entire movie that like it was constantly <laughs> just trudging along and like never really saying what it was until towards the end. I realized like, oh, I knew what this movie was about, like at the very beginning, you know, um, and it just never advanced its story in a way that was interesting to me. Um, so does that answer whatever question you asked? Yeah, yeah, that, that contextualizes <laughs> it. It does. I'm trying I, to think if I have like a favorite moment in the movie. The middle portion is such a like a bog down to me. I'm I did think actually... the the as much as I don't like the way characters are just set up to be killed in this movie. I thought some of the deaths were pretty gnarly, like um, the guy's body that was just beaten by the chickens in the barnyard, you know? Like no. that was cool. Um <laughs> but again, how we got there and like what that character represented, like that's all there really is for me. I was like, that looked cool, I guess. Yeah, like okay. Nice. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have all that much to uh to add about anything i don't know any any questions for me <laughs> do, do you have a favorite moment like something that, that you think about when you think about this movie um i mean the bear suit stands out <laughs> I, I so i do like some of the the setup that's done like the initial tapestry that we see at the very beginning of the movie ends up foreshadowing the entire movie the picture above her bed yeah. of the little girl and the bear that foreshadowing things to come I like that there's almost a, a fairy tale aspect to it or almost these hints of prophecy or like magicism I don't think is a word but magic that's kind of mm -hmm. around the film which has led people to some pretty like room 237 ish theories about sure. the movie <laughs> Which is why but, it's so popular, I think. Yeah. I I do like those aspects. And like later, you really can see a visual of the, the dead sister in the trees near the end of the movie after she's won the Mayfair Queen and they're leading mm -hmm. her to the table. So there's a few just little extra added things that I like. Or that the, the window outside is uh, before the title screen is winter and then you cut and it's bright outside hmm. so there's just a few little details like that that i appreciate throughout and i think that's where aster tends to shine is in building out some of the mise-en-scene 
and the camera work throughout the film. Yeah. But that's also uh, kind of the limits of it. Yeah, I I would say limits in the sense that, like, I, I feel like we've described his filmmaking as visceral at some points. I would almost just say it's more matter of fact. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, like, here's what this means. Like, that's kind of, like, all I get from it sometimes. And the mise-en-scene, typically when you think of mise-en-scene, like, oh, what a, what a fancy term. Like, ooh, look at all these cool, unique things they did to convey this. Like, to me, Ari Aster just, like, he tells you. Like... The mise-en-scene loses, like, all art and wonder in that sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's... Mm, I'm, part of me... It just makes me keep going back to Bo is Afraid. Are you going to make me watch this movie? I mean, you can. I might. I don't know how soon it'll be, but... <laughs> yeah, it's give not me some be space. Like, yeah, it's not going to be, like, the next one. <laughs> I think it might be a 2024 Travis problem. <laughs> I just like I I look at movies like Hereditary and Midsummer how he's torturing many people. I can only imagine. I can't even fathom what he does with the movie where he focuses on one person. <laughs> yeah, actually. And maybe that'll make me appreciate it. Like maybe that'll help me see it. Yeah. I mean, it has like it's it's way more absurdist. I think um, I think and fantastic. Uh, I mean, that does intrigue me a little bit. I, I feel like that's the route I need him to go. I, I need him to go. He can go whatever route he wants. He's his own fucking person. But like for me to like Ari Aster, I need, I need something a little extra, something more stylized. Like I just, a, if a movie being absurdist to me is, uh, that sounds like a welcoming move. Yeah, it's, it's almost to the point. I, this might be going a little too far. That I would say if you showed someone hereditary midsummer and then showed them Bo is afraid that i don't think they would say that it's the same filmmaker okay that is again that sounds wonderful uh there's that much of a a difference just in terms of the genre Mm -hmm. the the scope and the scale the the characters but there's still that like negative streak that runs through it hmm I don't know, but maybe it's like done in enough of a dynamic way mm-hmm. that that it works better. We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> uh, okay, so rankings. Yeah, I actually dropped it from. I had it at the top of the impressive category, which is like tier three for me. Uh, from 24 all the way down to 72 which now it's in the positives category which is uh tier five okay and 72 out of how many uh 72 oh yeah sorry from our rankings uh since we started this i started my list in july of 2022 Mm um out of 163 total okay and my list stretches back all the way to the beginning of 2022. I still need to update my list. I think it's up to like 480 now. Okay. Um, and that would push this movie down even lower. Um, but of the 462 movies I have put in so far, Midsummer, I don't have it as low as Hereditary because, like I said, I I associate Hereditary with that moment <laughs> when the little girl was killed, and I just 
that movie has a special place in my heart in the sense that it has a negative place in my heart. Um, but Midsummer to me was just almost just as unbearable as Hereditary. I <laughs> didn't enjoy it really at all. Um, it just felt kind of, I don't know. It just wasn't for me, obviously, as I've said a million times. Um, I'm going to actually put it below Babylon, a movie we talked about on the show that I hated. I'm putting it one below Babylon at 459. (laughs) All the way. All the way. So it's only three spots away from Hereditary. Jeez. That's, uh, that's low. Yeah. What's your sandwich look like? Oh yeah. My sandwich, my sandwich. So, uh, below it or above it, what's better to start with? Are you more interested in what's above it or are you more interested in what's below it? I think you go, uh. I mean, you build a sandwich bottom up, so. That's true. Okay, so I have Midsummer at 72. At 74, I have Oppenheimer. At 73, I have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And then it's Midsummer. And then it's Fast and Furious 6 and <laughs> Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, it pains me to see Midsummer so close to a Fast and Furious movie. Did you <laughs> do that on purpose? No, I did not. <laughs> but I definitely looked at it It was like, do I like it more or less than Fast and Furious Six? And I was like, you know, less. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go top down because it's it's more fun to go towards the bottom where all the shitty stuff is. Um, so I got Scream the remake at on the top, then Babylon, then Midsummer, then Vivarium. You know that movie? I uh, I've heard of it, but I haven't watched it. Oof. And then The Gray Man. Okay. <laughs> and then below that is hereditary at the very bottom. That's like Jeez, the plate. The that's the plate. <laughs> the sandwich is that's awesome. the trash can. <laughs> yeah, that's the plate that will soon become the garbage disposal. Yeah. Uh the gray man. I had a, a friend this is how like not interested I was in the gray man. I had a friend who was like, Hey, a few of us are watching the gray man tonight. Do you want to come over? And I'm somebody that wants to make people happy i don't like to say no to things (laughs) and i wanted you know you're not going to watch a movie you're going to hang out with people and yet i said no (laughs) because i did not want any part of experiencing the gray man that i will say was the correct call yeah yeah it ruined my night when i watched it (laughs) (laughs) uh Sorry to the Russo brothers, who I know are such big fans of this podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, you know, they have all of their box office earnings. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah. Anyway, so we've reached the end, Chris. Uh, We have to now pick our next movie. Yeah, which uh, changing it up, no longer necessarily what's on the website, but we're going to be swapping back and forth. Yep, just picking movies. Yeah. Whatever makes us happy. What a... What is it? Well, next week is my birthday, and I have a tradition every year on my birthday, a certain movie I watch. And this year is the first year I get to watch it on 4K UHD. So I'm happy to announce that next week we will be covering Showgirls. (laughs) I have never watched Showgirls, so it's about time. It's about um, time. I'm very excited to talk about Paul Verhoeven. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be exciting. Hell yeah. Oh, man, there's just so much to unpack with this movie. It's got such a legacy <laughs> of being hated. <laughs> I know what movie I'm going to pick next, then. Oh, yeah, I love this game. Okay. 
Um, but okay, so stay tuned for Showgirls. I'm sure nobody will watch it in anticipation of that, but um, <laughs> we're going to close up shop here. Keep it quiet on set. Are you ready, Chris? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Lights. Camera. See ya. See ya. Oh. God. I, I feel waited like we get worse. so long. <laughs> One day. Thank you.